0: Welcome to Your Torah, a 36 week journey into the world of the 63 books of the Mishnah, 18 minutes at a time, a project of Jofa UK designed as a special invitation to engage in Torah and make it yours. If you'd like to sponsor or dedicate an episode of Your Torah, please get in touch via our website, which can be found at ukjofa.org. Hi, my name is Rachel Berkovitz, and I teach Mishnah, Talmud, and Halakha at the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies in Jerusalem. In my earlier podcast on Masachet Trumot, I shared with you my love of Mishnah in general, and in specific, the Mishnaic time period. Today, I want to share with you a different sort of Mishnah moment, which really is partial to my heart, and that is Masachet Shkalim, which we're going to learn today together. When I turned 12, um, I didn't really have a bat mitzvah. There wasn't a normative way in which to celebrate the ritual of reaching the age of mitzvot. And so when my eldest daughter was born, I dreamed about the day when I would do something different for her bat mitzvah. Separate from the question of the specific ritual participation in the synagogue, I firmly believe that there should be a serious learning component to any bat or even bar mitzvah for that matter. And so well over one year before my daughter was going to reach the age of 12, we started learning Mishnah together. Each week we sat and did a few Mishnayot. And slowly but surely, we went through all of Seder Moed. And so on her bat mitzvah celebration, she was able to make a siyum of Seder Moed, which I think really enriched her experience and her commitment to mitzvot when she had spent so much time learning halachot about some of the central holidays. And it just so happened that her bat mitzvah was on Parshat Shkalim, so herbat Michta Drasha at the Sium incorporated some of the Mishnah we're going to learn together, and I'll come back to that in a moment. But before we do that, um, I'd like to give you some background about Masachet Shkalim. Masachet Shkalim has eight chapters. What's interesting about this Mishnah is that there is Gemara Talmud from the area of Eretz Israel. There's Jerusalem Talmud on this Mishnah, but there is no Babylonian Talmud. And the reason for that is because the focus of the whole tractate is on the half-shekel tax that was given by B'nai Israel for the upkeep and running of the temple. And to some extent, that's really not relevant when we don't have a temple, even though the ideas that are presented herein, I hope I'll show you, are very meaningful. So the mitzvah to collect a half-shekel tax is first told to us in the Torah, in Parshat Kitisa, in Exodus, Shemot, chapter 30, verses 12 to 16, we're told that there's a commandment Moshe gives the Jewish people that every adult over the age of 20 has to bring this half shekel piece and give it as a truma la as a donation to God. And the verses say it doesn't matter how rich you are, you can't bring more than a half shekel, and it doesn't matter how poor you are, you can't bring less than a half shekel. And it says, v'natato to'al avodat ol moed. And it's to be given for the workings of the, of the ol moed, of the mishkan, of the temple. And this idea is actually of all the mitzvot, you see it throughout all of Tanakh. In Malachim Bet, chapter 12, it says that they gave the taxes to strengthen the upkeep of the mikdash. And in Dvrei Hayamim 2, chapter 24, they proclaim in Yehuda. And Yusholayim that it's time to collect the tax, and they're going to use it to pay carpenters and masoners um, and craftsmen and iron and bronze to really renovate and restore the mikdash. And then in Sefer Nechemya, chapter 10, it mentions that they're going to collect attacks again as well. They have been doing it for a while. And it's going to be used for the korbanot, for the sacrifices in the temple, for the lechem, for the minchat tamid, for the korbanot of Shabbat and Rosh Chodesh and the moedim. And at the end, it says, v'kol melechet beit Hashem, for all the workings of the house of God. And so we really see from the beginning in the Torah, through the Tanakh, this idea that the half-shekel tax originally was used also as a way for a census, but it really is for the upkeep of the Mishkan and then the Mikdash. And that same idea is reflected directly in our Mishnayot. In chapter 4, the Mishnah opens, Hatrumah, simba." What did they do with this half-shekel donation? And the Mishnah says, What did they do with the donation? They brought the sacrifices that are offered every morning and every evening, the additional sacrifices for the holidays, and their libations, and the Omer sacrifice, and the breads on for Shavuot, and the breads that were always outside, the Kodesh Kedoshim, and basically all the communal sacrifices, Right. I, as an individual, can bring a korban to the Beit HaMikdash, but we have a lot of sacrifices that we do regularly that really are done on behalf of all of Am Yisrael. And the way that all of Am Yisrael participates is by donating the money to buy the ingredients or the animals and the things needed for those sacrifices. And not just that, the Mishnah continues that this tax is also used to build reservoirs and to fix the walls of the city of the temple and of of Yerushalayim itself and its towers, and all the needs of the city of Yerushalayim. And the Mishnah continues that this tax is used to pay workers. I don't know how much we think about the Mikdash as a financial business enterprise. And we know about the Kohanim working there, but this Mishnah lists a whole list of names that's worth looking at and tells you about the jobs that they're paid to do. And so you have someone in the Mikdash who's in charge of giving out the seals and someone who's in charge of the libation and someone who's in charge of the lots and someone who's in charge of the bird offerings. And then there's some really interesting one. Apparently there was someone who's in charge of stomach disorders or stomach ailments. If the Kohanim got sick, they had a doctor on call in the Mikdash. And there's someone who dug pits and someone who made an and someone who's in charge of locking the gates, and in uh, someone who was in charge of obviously the lechem and the ketorat and making it and, and doing the parochet of the curtains and someone who is in charge of the kohenim's clothing. And so there's a lot of different jobs and a lot of different actual people who, some of these are more technical skilled than others, who need to be paid for their workings. And the tax, the half-shuckle tax, went for their salaries. The Mishnah also describes that there are three treasurers and seven overseers. The Mishnah is very, very concerned with people misappropriating the funds. And they say specifically, you should never have one person in charge of anything, because that leads to corruption. Also, the way the half-shekel tax was collected was in an instrument that they call a shofar. And there were 13 of these shofarot, which was like a stucca collection box. I know it's not stucca, your tax collection box. Why was it called a shofar? Because of the shape. Imagine a shofar. The shofar has a small end, which we blow in, and then a larger end where the sound comes out. Here, the shape of the collection box had a small end at the top where you could drop your half shekel in and a larger end at the bottom that collected the store of all the half shekels. Why did they use the shape? So that someone could drop a half shekel in, but you couldn't stick your hand in and grab half shekel out to prevent stealing. They are actually very concerned with the idea that anyone should steal. The person who was in charge, once it was all collected in the treasury when he went in to get the money, he had to have no pockets and no hems and nothing, any place on his clothing that lest anyone should think he is stealing, there would be nowhere for him to hide the money on his body. And the Mishnah talks about uh, when did this whole procedure happen in the year. So the reason we read Parshat Shkalim, on Shabbat Mavrachim of Rosh Chodesh Adar, right on the Shabbat, right before the beginning of Adar, is because the first Mishnah of Masachet Shkalim says, On the first of Adar, you start announcing about the Shkalim. And it says that you should do it basically 30 days before the first day of Nisan. And why is that? Because I think, first of all, Nisan is the beginning of the fiscal year in the temple. It is also when soon, right, the pilgrims are going to start to come, the ole regal are going to start to come for Pesach. And it's right after the end of the winter, when things might need some fixing up. So on the first of Adar, the Mishnah says, they started actually fixing the roads and the highways and the reservoirs and even marking graves, so that when Kohanim and people were making aliyah regal, they would know where to avoid the graves. So, now we're even spreading out outside Yerushalayim, but this is for the benefit of the people coming to the Mikdash on their pilgrimage. They need good way to travel. So this money was used for that. And so they start announcing, and that needs to have preparation before we get to the time when they're going to reach there. So they start announcing on the 1st of Adar. And then on the 15th of the Adar, not only did they read Megillah, but the money changers started sitting in the Medina, in the outlying towns from Yerushalayim, because you have to bring a half shekel, you might not have the right amount of money in the right, you might not have a silver piece, and you need to make exchanges. And then on from the 25th of Adar, the money changers sat in the Mikdash itself, in Yerushalayim and in the temple. And then they used to start taking a mashkod, a collateral. If you hadn't paid, they would actually go and uh, collect stuff from your house and take it if you owed the money. And the Mishnah discusses who is required to pay this money. For sure, Levi'im and Yisraelim and Gerim and Avadim. And although Kohanim actually are required still to also pay the half-tax, because of Darkei Shalom, the Mishnah said, we don't collect the collateral for them if they don't pay. The Mishnah says that Nashim Avadim women, slaves, and minors, are not required to pay, I think because these might be people who do not have their own financial resources. However, they could give them voluntarily. If a woman wanted to donate a half-shekel tax, Obviously, her money would happy and it. Um, the Mishnah goes on to say that after all this money was put away in the temple, there are three times a year that it was taken out to be used. And that was half a month before Pesach, half a month before Shavuot, and half a month before Sukkot, because obviously there needs to be more upkeep with people coming, and there are a lot of korbanot that you have to give from the communal funds. It's interesting to think about the temple. We usually think about it as a connection to God, but really the temple is really a financial entity with a lot of things going on. I'll just tell you one thing that the, uh, Mishnah mentions that it says that every 30 days, the temple gets to set the prices of the wine and the oil and the flour, and that the temple always has the upper hand. What does that mean? That if the price goes up, the temple's still getting to pay a lower price to buy these things, whatever they had said. And if the price goes down in the market, when they are selling their own goods, they'll get the better price. And so there's financial workings on, but because it in some ways represents the whole Jewish people, the temple always has the upper hand. Okay. After the Mishnah discusses all these details and more of the workings of the Mikdash, the last chapter returns to the time of the pilgrimage. And I want to share with you something that my daughter, Ardina discussed at her bat mitzvah that I think is a really, really interesting idea that Rabbi Yudin Nasi presents to us in the way that he formulates the Mishnah. So he opens up the eighth chapter, which is the last chapter of Masachet Shkalim, with a fascinating statement. He says, Kol ha-rokim hanim All the spit or spittle that you find in Yerushalayim is Tahor. Now, this is a crazy idea, right? The assumption is, sadly, that people would spit in the street. And that usually, if I am a person who is Tameh, my bodily fluid is a very powerful conductor of Tuma. And if someone would normally walk on or touch my Tameh spits, they should also become Tameh. They should also become ritually impure. But this would be very problematic with all the pilgrims coming. Um, And so we make a blanket statement that the rabbis declare that all the spittle in Yerushalayim is Tahor. And not only that, all the kalim, all the utensils that you find lying by the way that you might touch on your way... Even those that are on the steps going down to the mikvah, because you might think something dropped on the steps going down to the mikvah, was being brought to the mikvah to become tahor again, to become ritually pure, because they had a separate way down for the people who are tameh and a different way up for the people who are tahor. Even those we should consider tahor. So he's painting a picture of Yerushalayim, I think it's really a needs-based picture, that you don't have to worry about becoming Tameh when you're coming on pilgrimage, because you want to be Tahor to go to the Mikdash. But then, boom, he has this other juxtaposition in Mishnah 4 of chapter 8, where he says, parochat meah. what do I do if one of the curtains in the Mikdash... There are 13 curtains. One of them separates the holy of holies, but all of them in their area of the working of the mikdash. What do I do if it becomes tamei? And he describes how you have to dunk it in water. And even some of them were so big, they needed 300 kohanim to help do the tefillah and how you lie it out to dry. And you do, what you do. do you have to take it outside the mikdash? Or can you do this inside the mikdash? And Rabbi Yudinasi is painting us this crazy, crazy topsy-turvy picture where we have this image of Yushalim is kulotahor, is all, is all pure. And the mikdash, which we usually think of as the place where all of purity is, has the potential to become tamei. So we have spittle, think about the juxtaposition, that's tahor, and the parochet, that's tamei. That's the picture that Rabbi Yudanasi Nasi paints for us at the end of Masachet Shkalim. So what is he trying to teach us here? Right? He, he basically turns Yushalayim into an idyllic state. For sure, the sentence that all the spittle that's found in Yerushalayim is Tahor is not a description of reality, right? We know for sure that there are Olay Regal, there are people who came on pilgrimage, Ameha Haaretz, and different people who weren't so careful about being Tahor or didn't know the laws or just because of life, it's very hard to stay Tahor all the time, who are probably Tame. And Rabbi Huday Nasi I think, knows that because he is presenting in this mishnah, this kula, this leniency that we've permitted all the spit and all the kalim, all the utensils, and say they're that there's an extraordinarily high chance that a person who himself is tamay is going to enter the mikdash. And once you have a chance that someone who's Tame entering the mikdash, then you have a chance that the parochet will become tamay, will become impure. And so there's a direct link between these two statements. So why is he telling us this, and why is this the halacha? And I think it is, if you didn't have the halacha be this way, Meaning if we said all, you know, you have to be worried about every little spit and every little thing you touch, then you would never have a situation where the people would be tahor. And you never have a situation where people could enter into the mikdash on the holidays because they just would walk in the street and they'd become tame. And so the halacha sort of has to play this game of pretend and, and not looking. And they let amay or people who aren't careful, go into the mikdash. And then after that, after the regal is over, pitom, we have to say, oh, my gosh, the parochet might be tamay. How can we make it tahor again? How can we purify it again? But I think by teaching us this reality and showing us this juxtaposition, Rabbi Erudah Hanasi is telling us a really important idea that we can incorporate into our lives today, I think. And that is that although you might think of the mikdash as this idyllic, perfect place and to encounter God, you have to be on the highest spiritual level, that's really not true. That's really not true. The ideal that we have, that the entire community should be able to access God and have an opportunity to encounter the divine, lets us fudge a little the perfectness of the situation. And really, anyone should be able to have this chance. And it doesn't have to be that they're on the highest spiritual level or in the perfect state of purity. And um, I think Masechet Shkalim is a perfect place to represent this idea because Masechet Shkalim really represents the idea that all of Am Yisrael, rich or poor, pure or not pure, careful or not, has a communal responsibility for the whole nation to be involved in the upkeep of the mikdash. which means that everyone has a responsibility and a connection to being in relationship with the divine. It doesn't matter if it's the most ideal state. We want to be able to have that relationship. Thank you. This episode of Your Torah is brought to you by Jofa UK, in collaboration with women from around the world who all share a passion for Torah study. If you are enjoying your Torah, consider sponsoring an episode. Find out more by visiting ukjova.org. Join the conversation on social media using the hashtag Torah.